This morning, um, I really wanted to kind of share with you uh, we, uh, kind of some of what I have, uh, intended to go over in our uh, Sunday school class. We're kind of going through uh, the Holy Spirit. Uh, Christian has been doing the, that teaching uh, thus far, and uh, we're using a book uh, put out by Emmaus on that. And uh, was also thinking of uh, the idea of living in the Spirit, as you can see on the screen. And um, just the uh, the the um, the thought of that is um, how life can be very um, burdensome, and uh, and especially life of uh, as a uh, of a believer, especially in this day and age where it definitely seems the culture war is going away from the Bible for sure, uh, and where it's more uh, or less common to follow scriptural principles or. Uh, follow the word of God, or even to acknowledge God uh, these days than it ever has been in the past. So, and as such, as believers in Christ and followers of Christ, I think it's easy to get discouraged. Um, it's easy, of course, this day and age is very busy uh, with all the communication and uh, travel and things like that that are available to us. And uh, it just seems that uh, employers are asking more and more out of their workforce uh, of course, we all hear about employment shortages, uh, staffing shortages, and so on and so forth. And uh, again, it can all be very discouraging um, in, in the life of a believer. And I think it's easy to get kind of bogged down and, and caught up into that, but forgetting uh, the power that lies within us, the power that we have in Christ. So uh, today, I hope uh, to encourage you and to give you some practical things uh, that we can do, maybe as a reminder, I don't think you'll hear anything new today, um, definitely not from me, um, anything that I have I stole from somebody else, so I'll tell you that right at the beginning, um, but um, anyway, just as a reminder of uh, how to live a spirit-led life um, in this day and age, and so you might be feeling something like this, we've all seen this image before of you have the um, angel on the one shoulder and the devil on the other. And of course, I'm using this as to represent the spirit and the flesh. And so maybe you feel like Paul, who writes in Romans 7, 18 through 24, he says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want to do, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing that I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free? from this body of sin and death. And maybe you feel that way. I know I feel that way. Um, often um, just that you um, are distracted and uh, that you don't um, send or tend to uh, devote as much time to the word or to uh, Christian service or to the ministry of the saints or, or whatever it might be, or always feeling like I'm coming up short um, and fulfilling that duty and um, fulfilling that um, that commitment that I made to Christ when I accepted him as my savior. So, uh, but the next verse, I'm glad it doesn't end there. The next verse reads, but thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, God, but on the other with my flesh, uh, the law of sin. And so how do we 
do more of the serving of the law of God and less of the serving of the flesh. And so that's really what I want to kind of get out today is um, kind of um, lay that foundation, if you will, of being leading a spirit-led life or, or walking in that spirit-led uh, life. And so that's going to take us to Romans chapter 12. And uh, that's where I'll preach on from the rest of this time. Um, but I just wanted to give a quick um, synopsis here before we get into this verse. But um, the first 11 chapters of Romans was really, is all really about the doctrine of salvation. And so we have, um, you know, for, and I'm not, I don't have these to show on the screen, but Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So we see that in chapter 1. In Romans chapter 2, uh, we read, but he who is a Jew is one inwardly, a circumcision of that which is in, of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter, and his praise not from men, but from God. In chapter 3, we read, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. In chapter 4, then we read about, It was credited to Abraham as righteousness. Not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our, our sake also, uh, to whom it will be credited, as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Um, In chapter 5, we read in verse 6, it says, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. So again, setting that foundation uh, of salvation. In chapter 6, we see or read, uh, But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. In chapter 7, it says, For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work at members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that which by we were bound, so that we serve in newness of spirit of the spirit and not in oldness of the letter. Um, in chapter 8, we read, For what the law could not do, weak as though it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Uh, chapter 9, um, and of course, so you could pick out many different verses. These are just the ones I happened to pick out that I, I thought were uh, more, most uh, meaningful. But chapter 9, verse 8, this is not, that is, not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but children of the promise who are regarded as descendants. Uh, Chapter 10, verse 11, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. And then finally in chapter 11, verse 17, but some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive, were grafted in among them and became partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree. Do not be arrogant toward the branches, but if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. And so that's, you know, again, you could read those 11 chapters in Romans and you could get that very, um, you know, very grounded in the doctrine of salvation. And so that brings us here to Romans chapter 12. And uh, it kind of reminds me uh, when we get to chapter 12 of, uh, again, of um, the purpose of our meeting, of meeting together, of gathering together. And not just us, but anybody who meets under the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think it's often, um, especially I think in now in today's day and age, is that you go to a place to get something back out of it. Um, you go to uh, maybe a conference at work, and you want to get something out of that. There's always a discussion of that one takeaway. You know, you want to get that one takeaway. And obviously, I hope there's a one takeaway uh, that I might share with you today. 
Um, but uh, again, you might go, um, you know, to the gym to get something out of that. Um, you know, you go to maybe you, uh, see a counselor and you want to get something out of that. And again, we tend to come to church, especially when you think of uh, kind of how churches have evolved over the ages and um, those that have the big productions and the nice screens and the, you know, the, you know, the professional music and, and all those things. And, uh, you want to get this, um, you want to get something out of that. You want to feel this emotion. And that's the exact opposite, I think, of the, re, uh, of what we want to get at church. We don't come to church to get something out of it. The purpose of coming into church is that we give back to the Lord. Um, especially in the remembrance meeting we have this morning, that, that purpose is, uh, basically, we go there, and that's our response to God. We want to go to God and just basically offer him our praise and our worship because of what he's done for us. And so, and in doing so, um, there's a strange thing that happens. I'm always, um, you know, there's different um, uh, scriptures about this, but I'm always afraid, uh, uh, amazed at the math in the Bible. Uh, you know, the first shall be last is one example of those. You know, it doesn't make sense mathematically, right? Uh, but there's things like that um, in the Bible. And one of those is that we come to serve the Lord, but as such, in doing in our serving, then we also receive back from that as a kind of an indirect benefit from the Lord. Uh, but our primary reason for getting together is we come to give and not to get. And so I'm just going to read Romans, uh, this uh, first, um, um, uh, for, we'll spend our time on the first two verses today. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a holy, or a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect." And you'll see the next section after this, we get into spiritual gifts and the serving and using your gift in the church. And Pete, of course, he's going through a series on that, so I don't intend to step on his toes um, by going any further than verse 2. Uh, but just to let you know, we gets, this chapter gets even more practical in the, in the use of this, uh, your gifts through the Spirit. And then after that, there's even some more practical examples you'll see uh, later on in Romans chapter 12. Um, about loving uh, without hypocrisy and abhorring what of evil and so on and so forth. And uh, maybe I'll get to those in another message, but I think today, uh, just to lay the foundation, I want to spend our time in these first two verses. And um, so we read in there that uh, we're, um, you know, we have a, Paul, or a, yeah, Paul um, reminds us here that we are to live, um, to present our bodies a holy living sacrifice. And uh, Christ even mentions in John thirteen thirty four, he says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And so this idea that we come to serve the Lord um, and to uh, just to honor him and to give back to him. And so this the mercies of God. You know, the, uh, it's interesting that, uh, that Paul would, uh, he says, by the mercies of God, I urge you by the mercies of God. Um, and the mercies of God, what are the mercies of God? You could define mercy, define mercy as undeserved uh, favor, basically undeserved favor, undeserved love to an undeserving sinner. Um, and it's things that have um, having to do with the salvation of the soul. 
And if you look back uh, throughout the early chapters of Romans, uh, you'll see here some examples. Um, so there's eternal love to an unworthy sinner. You'll see in chapter 5 uh, and in chapter 8. Uh, you'll see grace that was given to us by God in chapters 1, 3, 5, 6, and 11. Uh, you'll see the gift of the Holy Spirit that was given to us um, and the, and the secure, securing that we have through the Holy Spirit in chapters 5, uh, 9, uh, 12, and 15. Uh, you'll see peace that is given to us by God. Um, another mercy given to us in chapters 1, 2, and 5. Faith in chapters 1, 3, 4, 5, 9, 10, and 11. Uh, comfort, and I didn't have the comfort verse written down, but you'll see comfort in there too. Um, power in verse in chapters 1, 9, and 1 and 9. Hope in chapters 4, 8, uh, patience in chapters 2 and 9, kindness in chapters 2 and 11. Uh, you'll see we receive a share in his glory in chapters 1, 3, 5, 6, 4, 8, 9, and 11. Uh, you'll see honor in chapter 2, um, righteousness in chapter 1, 3, 4, 5, 6, 8, and 9. So again, the mercies of God is present and prevalent throughout all of all of Romans. Um, honor in chapter 2, uh, justification in chapters 4, 5, 4 and 5, freedom in chapter 8, and resurrection in chapters 1 and 4. That's probably no wonder why we get to the end of chapter 11, the verses right preceding chapter 12 here, uh, that Paul writes, Oh, the depth of the riches of both wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfallible his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor? Who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. And just the overwhelming riches of his grace uh, that Paul writes to us. And uh, again, just having that idea that um, it's by the mercies of his grace that we're to act um, in a certain way, that we're to honor God in our lives in a certain way. And it's not because we do it uh, because there's, again, some benefit that we might get from it, though, again, that's an indirect uh, result, uh, but that we serve God and we honor him because of what he's done for us and because of the mercies uh, that he's shown to us. Uh, the next uh, point here is that we present our bodies a holy and living sacrifice, a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. And, you know, back in the Old Testament, of course, they would present uh, the animal. And the animal was a slain animal with its blood shed. Uh, but yet we're to be, as a priest of God, we're to be a holy and living sacrifice. Um, we're in First Peter 2.9, uh, we read, But you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. And again, I think that's a distinction that we have um, when we come in the, in the remembrance meeting in the morning, that we practice that holy priesthood, that we offer up our spiritual praise of worship uh, to the Lord uh, by just giving him the honor and glory uh, due to his name. And that's a practice. It's a privilege uh, that we're to come here. It's, it's kind of unique. Uh, we don't see that in a lot of places. And uh, just the ability to do that and to just, again, put self aside, uh, put the world behind us, um, put uh, this afternoon's picnic behind us at least for an hour and to, to come and just, again, just offer up praise and worship to God. It's not about um, 
you know, teaching. It's not about um, instruction or exhorting. It's all about giving uh, back to the Lord and just honoring him uh, through our, whether it be a, a hymn um, or a, a, a word of God or, 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 or a thought. Um, but again, it's that honoring uh, to him that we do. And uh, Paul, he writes, um, he in Philippians and in Second Timothy, he talks and writes of himself as a drink offering. He says he's, in uh, Philippians 2, he says, I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. I rejoice and share my joy with you all. <clears throat> and, you know, Paul had that mindset that he is living that holy, sac- he's that living and holy sacrifice by pouring out his life into the saints uh, there in the early church. And uh, so much so that he's poured out as a drink offering, just poured all of that out uh, on the offering of the Lord and just giving his life uh, solely to the Lord. In Second Timothy 4, 6, he writes, uh, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering at the time of my in the time of my departure has come. So we see at the end, at the very end of his life, he mentions the same thing, that he's poured himself out uh, into the service of the Lord and to administering to the needs of the saints. And that's the idea I think we have here in Romans, in this uh, first uh, verse in Romans 12, uh, that we're to present our bodies a holy and living sacrifice acceptable to God. Uh, that we're to, um, again, just to leave it all out there to um, just serve him and to uh, that our lives would be lived in such a way that it would be honoring uh, to him. I think of that hymn, there's a verse in that hymn, um, a debtor to mercy alone is, you know, a debtor to mercy alone of covenant mercy I sing, nor fear with God's righteousness on my person and offerings to bring. And so again, we don't come in the morning, um, in our remembrance morning with a, a dead offering. We come with a, a live and living offering and we bring that uh, to the Lord and we lay that at his feet, not for our glory, uh, but we lay that at his feet for him. Uh, next, we have this idea of spiritual service of worship. Now, your, your Bibles may also uh, read a, uh, a reasonable ser- service. And so that's the idea of this uh, spiritual, reasonable, can be translated either way. Um, but as belie- And I'll read this quote from the uh, Believer's Bible Commentary. It says, as believer priests, we do not come to God with the bodies of slain animals, but with spiritual sacrifice of yielded lives. Uh, we also offer to him our service, our praise, and our possessions. And again, this idea that we're pouring it all out, that there's nothing of us in what we're giving uh, to God, that we're giving or whatever we do have, we're, we're laying that at his feet. Um, the idea is that we're not to um, um, come with any self um, as we worship the Lord and as we uh, prepare to just give him honor and glory. Uh, each morning, uh, each Sunday morning, when we have the remembrance meeting, um, we're to come prepared, uh, to, whether it be to worship him silently, if that's uh, kind of the way you're feeling that day, or uh, coming prepared to worship him publicly. Um, in, matter, in fact, in 1 Corinthians 14, 26, we read, What is the outcome then, brethren, when you assemble? Each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation that all things be done for edification. So our idea is that we come prepared uh, beforehand. And then in Philippians 3.8, we read that more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, uh, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. 
And so again, as we come to remember the Lord and to prepare for, or to be prepared and to give him the worship and praise uh, that's due to his name, uh, that we're to also count anything that we have but loss. We're to put that aside and behind us and just give that all to him. And you know, the, uh, I think ultimately uh, that God wants a clean heart again when we come to worship him in the morning. Um, that he um, wants us to basically do a self-assessment. We read in First uh, Corinthians 11, you know, or let me t- mention this first. So I don't know if any of you, in, in, when I was in big corporate America, we had to do self-assessments. Uh, Carl, do they do that at your work? Yep. It was the worst. <laughs> Anybody else have to do self-assessments? Yep. <laughs> They're terrible, yes. <laughs> exactly. And of course, you know, so you're giving yourself assessment and it's all about you and what you've done and you're trying to justify this and that. And nobody thinks, you know, everybody thinks that they're the best person. I've been on both sides of it as a manager for a while and for a while as an employee. And of course, every employee thinks they're the best and every manager thinks, well, maybe not so much. Um, but so you're to do a self-assessment. And you know, when we come in the morning, we're also to do the self-assessment. Uh, that we're to come and judge ourselves uh, before we offer our worship uh, to the Lord. So we and we get this in 1 Corinthians 11, 26. Um, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread and drink or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in doing so, He is to eat the bread and drink of the cup, for he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. And so we want to come not only prepared, but we want to come with a clean heart. Um, There are times um, where we might not have had a clean heart. Um, You know, I I can't think of any recent examples, (laughs) but uh, maybe it was a time, you know, where we were having a little marital argument on the way into church. It's often, it seems how funny that happens at times. Uh, but, um, you know, and, and that's not, you want to put that before the Lord. Um, you're not to partake of the Lord's Supper. Um, if there's any sin in your heart, uh, you want to, ki- you want to confess that to the Lord, uh, to honor Him uh, as you remember what He's done for you. And I think the idea that Paul is getting across in Romans 12 is that in order for us to let a, live a life led by the Spirit, it all starts here, that we start by, again, um, presenting our bodies a holy living sacrifice, um, and then we have this uh, idea of a clean heart in our spiritual service of worship. Um, and, it's, and then we get into uh, uh, verse 2, and he says, and Do not be conformed to this world. And, and this is a thing, I think, again, that's uh, become more prevalent. And I sound like a, I know I sound like an old person uh, when I kind of say, you know, things get worse and all of that. And I remember being younger and sitting and hearing older people saying, you know, this day and age is, you know, people are, you know, you know, not living the way it was or it wasn't like the old days or stuff like that. And uh, so here I am doing the same thing. So I guess it's just a rite of passage. But um, but it's true. Um, and in fact, uh when, you know, of course, in the old days, uh, we had just, you know, television and, and music and, and books and things like that, and that was enough. Uh, of course, that's all gone electronic now where we have social media, um, you know, music, and then we have, of course, musicians and athletes and actors, and all of these people are on, you know, social media, which you pick up your phone, and it's before you every day. Um, in fact, they actually do not even try to hide it anymore and that they have these things called influencers, 
And uh, it took me a while to understand what an influencer was, but I guess that's just the people with a lot of followers. <laughs> and uh, these people have no particular talents, really, other than they've got a voice on social media and they've got, grabbed a lot of people. And they're influencers. And so, you know, it's, we can be influenced by influencers, I guess. And so the, and I think we all know the, uh, you know, the air that could come, um, in, in light of that. And not only in the air and following somebody who may not, who doesn't necessarily follow or probably doesn't follow the Lord, but the air in that we would try to be like that person and molded and shaped, uh, and our lives would be led in a way that we would want to, wear what that person's wearing or listen to what that person's listening to or watch whatever they're watching and, and those sorts of things. And that's why Paul writes here, do not be conformed to this world. Um, in fact, the um, idea would be the opposite. You know, I think we all know the story of the ichthus and how that came about. And the early Christians would write the one would write the top or one half of the fish and then somebody else would come along and complete it just to show that unity and that there were others uh, there. Um, and I think that's the idea is that you have that, uh, you're different. You're different, um, and, and, uh, that you're different enough that people ask you about your faith. Uh, that you're different enough that, uh, you really don't even have to say anything, um, but people will know you're different by the way you act. And I think that's, uh, become easier and easier to do as the world goes darker and darker the other way. Uh, if you just even, you know, don't go that direction, they'll know you're different. So, um, but again, the idea that we're not conformed to the world, that our thinking is not worldly thinking. Uh, there's a lot of issues that come up, and we hear again about those every day, uh, social issues, uh, things that aren't right in the world, and that's true that things aren't, aren't right. But again, we're to be focused in living for Christ and showing the world Christ, um, and it's not about a particular um, um, a political issue or not about a particular social issue but it's about Christ and the word of God and living for him and showing that to the world and letting that be our standard versus politics or something else. So, in fact, he goes further to say that not only to not be conformed to the world, but that we should be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And um, when I think of this um, this uh, uh, renewing of our mind, um, it's the transformed as this world metamorpho, where we get our word metamorphosis. So you think about the transformation of a, I guess it would be a, a worm or a caterpillar into a butterfly and how they go through this metamorphosis uh, stage. And it's, you know, again, it's quite an amazing uh, miracle, I think, to have this caterpillar go through that and then come out this flying uh, creature. And that, But that's the idea, that we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, that we're to uh, take our mind, and it's interesting because you'll see this throughout all the New Testament. Um, if you just do a search for mind, I think I, if I remember right, when I did a search for mind in the New Testament, there were 52 different verses uh, that talk about the mind. So it's an important thing. Um, and uh, that we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Uh, that are uh, Again, that are, when I think of this word renewing, um, I, one of the things I, I do like to watch on the TV, I, wa- I like to watch uh, renovation-type stuff, whether it be a renovation of an old car or whether it be a renovation of a house. I like to see the change and the difference, the kind of the before and after. In fact, when I was a kid, um, there were, well, you probably all remember Dr. Seuss and, a cat in the hat and thing one and thing two. Well, that, most of that show, I'm just living on 
pins and needles. I can't stand it because they're making a mess everywhere of everything. Um, but I love the very end of that where Cat in the Hat comes with his machine and he's just calmly riding through and things get picked up right before the mom walks in the door. Best part of the movie. Um, and that's the idea is that we're to be, again, the transformation that takes place from the before to the after. We're to renew that to kind of basically a 180. Um, and that our mind, again, should be renewed. Um, and that's that, that, uh, word renewing is, has that same thought as a renovation. Um, so you can think of it that way, where the old, uh, becomes new. In fact, Christ said that's the greatest commandment, right? And in Matthew 22:36, he says, uh, he was asked by, uh, a lawyer, nonetheless. He said, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That is the greatest and foremost commandment. Heart, soul, and mind. That's what Christ wants of us. He doesn't want one of the three or two of the three. He wants heart, soul, and mind. And so we need to be careful about our mind and where our mind is and where it's dwelling. Obviously, if you're you know, working throughout the day or doing things, you're not always going to be thinking um, necessarily about scripture, um, or you, cause you have, you know, your task at hand. But I think the idea is that, um, our minds, we should have our mind dwell more on the things of the Lord than the things not of the Lord. So, and we need to be careful about that. If we want to lead a spirit led life, uh, watch where your mind is and just be, be careful uh, of that. Um, the, um, uh, another important thing of the mind, again, that the, uh, I think that was a character, well, you look back and it was a characteristic of the early church in Acts 1. Uh, we read that these with all, uh, these all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. And then in chapter 246 of Acts, it says, and day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of our heart. And so that mind is not only important from an individual standpoint uh, to lead a spirit-filled life, uh, but that we're also to have that same mind here. You know, we're all different. Uh, we all come from different backgrounds. Uh, we all have different likes and dislikes, uh, things that we do and things that, you know, we like to, you know, keep, you know, whether it be employment or entertainment or recreation or whatever it is. Uh, but when we gather together, our minds are supposed to, are, are to be united uh, by the Lord and that we're to be, uh, when we come especially in that time of uh, worship and remembering the Lord and, and edification of one another, that we have that mind, which is the mind of Christ. Um, and in fact, we read this in Romans uh, chapter 8. It says, uh, verse 8, uh, chapter 8, verse 6, it says, for the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. And because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. So again, just a reemphasis of keeping our minds uh, focused on the Lord. I told Valerie this morning, I said, I probably won't take the full 45 minutes today. So anyway, but that's good because we have a picnic. So um, not that we're thinking about the picnic or anything. Um, the uh, and, and then finally here we have, uh, so that you prove what the will of God is. 
And, and again, ultimately, we all want to follow and know the will of God in our lives. And I think that's, I remember being in college and, you know, you're always wondering, you know, what the will of God is. Where do I work? Where do I live? Who do I marry? Um, all these different things. And what's God's will for me? Um, the, uh, I had, I came across, I've had this book for a while and I, I remember, let's see if I kept it with me. I didn't keep it. It's probably in that bag back there. Uh, but it's a book, uh, a little pamphlet. Do you have it there? You want to hold it up? Is it in there? Oh, that's all right. Uh, but it's a little book, um, and it says, Found God's Will, uh, like a want ad. Found God's Will, and it's by John MacArthur. Yeah, there it is. Valerie has it there. Um, anyway, um, it was given to me by this sweet old lady. If you look on the front of that, uh, Valerie, it was uh, Harriet Seacrest uh, gave that to me when I was a new believer. And uh, I don't know why it's choking me up, but... <laughs> Um, you know, I just, I guess as you think back to those days, but, um, anyway, uh, knowing what the will of God is for your life. And, uh, at the end of that book, it's interesting. Now he goes, he has a couple other points he'll make in that book, but at the end of that book, he basically gets to the, uh, the point is if you do these things, if you, um, lead a spirit led life, um, if you present your bodies, a holy living sacrifice, um, if you're prepared to worship the Lord, if your mind is right with the God, if you do these things, then what's the will of God for you? Anything. Because <laughs> if you're walking that closely with the Lord, whatever he shows you is going to be his will, uh, that you're going to be in lockstep with him, and he's going to guide and direct you all along the way. Um, and so I, I, it takes me to this uh, verse in First uh, uh, Thessalonians 4. It says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, uh, that as you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress or defraud his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we told you before and solemnly warned you. For God is not called for the purpose of purity, but in sanctification." Um, so I think we spend a lot of time um, and we hear um, a lot of struggles, a lot, you know, real life struggles is that we face in this day and age. And obviously, sanctification and um, this idea of sexual immorality um, is a big, you know, it's a big topic in our in our day and age today. And and it's a big struggle. And so and it's there's a big trap uh, to be, you know, it's it's very addicting and it's uh, hard to um you know, escape, you know, when, when the devil has a, his grasp on you that way. Um, but I think the idea that, um, you know, the thing that we f- fail to see, the, the thing that we're forgetting is the fact that we have uh, this, uh, what we've just read in Romans 1 and 2, the fact that we're, we need to present our bodies as holy, uh, living, sacri- or, yeah, living holy sacrifices acceptable to God and remembering uh, our spiritual service of worship, exercising our spiritual gifts uh, to serve the body and to edify the saints, uh, to not be conformed to the world, to set our mind on things above and not on things on the earth, and to, and to, and to be careful um, of that, uh, and that our mind uh, is transformed and renewed, again, by uh, keeping that mind in the, in the word of God. Um, we read this in... Um, and uh, let's see, in First Corinthians, no, Second Corinthians, chapter twelve, verse nine, he says, 
Um, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I'd rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. And again, remembering that it's not about any strength that we can muster up uh, to serve the Lord or to keep us from sin or to keep the flesh at bay. It's not about that. I think we spend too much time trying to, um, you know, do things like that that would uh, are in our own power and our own strength and not realizing that we need to get rid of all that and then focus on the things that God has asked us to focus here in Romans chapter 1 and 2 or 12, 1 and 2. Um, and then to let Christ do that work for us, that he gives us that power and strength to do it. Um, he's, we're to fill our mind uh, with the word of God. In Colossians 3.16, it says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teach, uh, wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And again, having that um, dwelling in on the word of God uh, keeps, again, the world at bay, uh, that we are to keep that in front of us, uh, that we should have that time with him each and every day, that we're to live each day uh, unto itself because we read that tomorrow has enough worry of its own, that we're to take up our cross daily and follow him. And I, I like the idea in Scripture, and I think God knows the, the frailty and the ADD of the human mind, uh, that we're to just focus on today. Uh, we're not to worry about tomorrow uh, we're not to try to store up enough energy to live the next week. Uh, we're not expected to come here and expect this meeting and this time that we have to get us through uh, the rest of the week. But we're to spend that time with him each and every day. And um, like I was saying in that in that book, then finally, um, what's the result and all that? Again, whatever you want. Um, and this is the first uh, that I have for the hand. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do it. Um, I think we can have confidence in knowing that if we delight our, that's another one of these math formulas, if you will, that I think doesn't equal. You know, you have um, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's the promise that we have in him, that we can take and, and trust in him because he is trustworthy, that if we delight ourselves in him, he will give us the desires of our heart. And I think um, as we delight ourselves in the Lord, too, he has a way of kind of molding and shaping and conforming us that maybe some of the desires we thought we had aren't really the desires that we really needed to begin with. And he has a way of shaping and molding those desires to conform with his will in our life. And thus, and thus uh, we can walk uh, more closely with him as we align ourselves with what he wants in our life and not necessarily uh, what, we, what we want. And then it finally comes to this, commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he will do it. And so we need to live lives committed uh, to the Lord and trusting in the Lord. It's, it's easier said than done. It's, it's easy to get up here and talk about trusting in the Lord. But obviously, you know, when you go back and you're presented with life's challenges and worries and uh, things that just happen, um, that's hard to remember uh, because, again, those things tend, are overwhelming. And, and hard for us um, to overcome, but yet we need to keep committing to the Lord. I remember a time um, when, um, share a personal story, when um, we, uh, before, right before we came back to Kansas City, um, I had lost my job in Colorado, and um, and that was always my greatest fear of being unemployed, um, you know, um, and, you know, I have kids at home, and Valerie, uh, she was working part-time at the time, but um, 
anyway, just, you know, what would we do if, if something like that happened and it happened? Um, and I felt myself, and it's really weird because I've never felt this before or since, um, but going to a state of depression um, where I just wanted to, you know, just give up and just lay in bed and, and do that. And I told myself that um, I wasn't going to do that. I remember just having time before the Lord, kind of like this guy in this picture. Uh, we lived near this uh, regional park in Colorado at the time, and I remember uh, going out there in the morning and just sitting on a rock and uh, just talking to the Lord. And then just willing to let everything go. So, um, but I'm thankful. I, my, we were committed to, to make light of that a little bit um, to change the mood. We were um, uh, my uh, my goal when we left. So we decided to come back to Kansas City, and uh, I was ready to just come back in whatever we could put in our cars um, and just come back in that way. And um, and uh, we uh, and then so okay, so that wasn't going to work. So we had a rental truck and. Um, I was committed. We're going to just get everything, whatever we can get in that one truck. Um, we'll just come back with that. And we ended up bringing two trucks of stuff back. But so we didn't have to leave everything. Um, but we did get rid of a bunch of stuff. But I just uh, it, it reminded me of that uh, that verse where Paul talks about how he was on his you know the Paul shipwreck. And Paul, of course, is um, after the shipwreck and um, he's clinging. I, I just picture him clinging to a you know a, a piece of wood you know, and then eventually landing up on the beach. But it says in Scripture that they arrive safely. And, you know, I don't think any of us would call that a, a safe arrival. <laughs> um, if you're on a ship, uh, you know, the way you reach your destination is you're in the water clinging onto a piece of wood. Um, but, um, again, the Lord is trustworthy, and we I think if we commit ourselves to him, uh, that he'll do it. So let's just give him thanks. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that you're trustworthy and that you love us and care for us. And we thank you, God, that you've given us this promise in your word that we can know you and know your love for us and your care for us. Uh, we just thank you for bringing us together that we can serve one another and, and edify one another and, and just encourage one another. And Lord, we just thank you that uh, you've given us your word and that we can study it to know it and know the heart of God the heart of God of the universe who cares for us, uh, who has a plan for us and a purpose for us, a God who has given his strength and his wisdom and his power. And we just thank you for that in Christ's name. Amen.